Hello and welcome to the Sober Bliss Podcast with me, Gail, and my amazing guest. I finally quit drinking for good in March of 2018 and one of the things that helped me was connecting with people on the same journey as me, hearing their stories and finding inspiration. No matter where you are on your journey to sobriety, I hope you enjoy listening to these stories and hope they bring you inspiration, joy and light so you can find your own sober bliss. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's podcast with me, Gail. Um, Today I'm joined by the absolutely lovely Dr. Brooke Scheller, who is a clinical nutritionist and she's also alcohol-free. Welcome, Brooke. It's so lovely to have you. Thank you, Gail. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast and I'm excited for our conversation today. Oh yeah, me too. It's such um, a hot topic. Uh, with me personally right now, but I think with everybody who wants to stop drinking is in the process of stopping drinking because we often turn to food to help us uh, as a replacement. Um, So yeah, I'm really excited to hear your wonderful advice on what we should be eating when we're not drinking. Um, But first of all, would you mind sharing with us about your own journey to alcohol freedom? I would love to share on that. Thanks for asking. And it's a topic that I feel really passionately about sharing because, as you know, Gail, a lot of the change comes from when we can identify with someone else. Mm. And oftentimes when we are struggling with alcohol or we're getting to that point where we feel like maybe we need to make a change, there's a lot of isolation and loneliness that comes with that, that we're kind of feeling like maybe we're unique in how we're feeling, that you know we're experiencing anxiety and everyone else seems to be having fun. Yeah. And the reality is that when we get into these rooms and we start hearing people being honest and open about their experiences with alcohol use, we say, wow, I'm not alone and mm-hmm. I feel comfortable now talking about it and, and bringing this up to other people. And, you know, my journey of drinking started in my teens. I was 13 the first time I took a drink. And, you know, alcohol is such a progressive disease. And looking back through my 20s and my early 30s, I can really see that progression happen. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back, you know, hindsight is 2020, right? How that progression <laughs> really happened from, you know, drinking casually and formally on the weekends getting into college and spending a lot of time around drinkers and dating other drinkers, you know, getting into the career world and starting to experience, you know, going to happy hours with coworkers and, you know, going out with your uh, maybe higher ups because, you know, that's Mm -hmm. part of the culture and it's how we grow. And unfortunately there's some, you know, associations there, especially for women. And, What's most interesting for me was that, um, you know, I was a, I'm a doctor of clinical nutrition by trade, and I always had this weight on my shoulders that I know exactly what alcohol is doing to my body, and yet I couldn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. And it was this, um, you know, the shadow part of myself that for a long time I was really trying to 
find the benefits of alcohol and figure mm-hmm. out a way that we could drink and still be healthy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and sometimes I still see it now on Instagram, you know, talking about that the red wine is okay in moderation and all of those things. Mm. And if you are someone who can truly moderate and doesn't necessarily have uh, an alcohol uh, situation that hasn't progressed to the point where it's become more difficult to stop, um, that may or may not be true. But for people who do have a problem or are starting to progress a little bit more towards alcohol use disorder, those things can be really dangerous, right? Because they allow us to feel like it's okay, that Mm -hmm. it's part of what everyone is doing. It's part of the crowd. Um, And so I um, work, have worked for 12 plus years in the nutrition industry and have a very deep knowledge of the body and really the different biochemistry of our brain and our gastrointestinal system and our hormones and our liver. And, you know, I finally decided through my own challenges that I was having with alcohol that I needed to cut it out. I have a family history of alcohol use and addiction in my family. And, um, you know, I started seeing myself going down that same path. Mm -hmm. And I had never wanted to be you know, that way and always thought I would be different. And here I am, you know, getting degrees and doing all these other things that could kind of prove that I didn't have a problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But inside I was screaming, you know, Mm -hmm. inside I was really feeling, um, I was having a lot of anxiety. I was dealing with a lot of emotions that were, you know, not allowing me to live my, my fullest life and keeping me really, um, below, my purpose in this world. And at ironically, at the same time that I got sober, which was June of 2021, I had published a chapter in a textbook on complementary and integrative approaches to substance use disorders. And I wrote a chapter on nutrition and supplementation for substance use disorders. Oh, wow. And while I was writing it in the end of 2020, you know, I'm, I was probably having a glass of wine while I was writing the book, you know, yeah. because that was, would be something I would do after work. And, um, you know, ironically, after I got sober and kind of that mental fog cleared from my head, I realized, oh my goodness, like I have this really deep knowledge of the body and looking at the sobriety space and the trends that are going on in sober curiosity and the need for more people to just have new ways into this conversation, Mm -hmm. I realized that we're not talking enough about the biochemical pieces that contribute to the reasons that we drink. And the biochemical meaning, you know, the physical stuff that's going on in our body. Yeah. So I'll give one example that is, you know, our brain. Mm -hmm. A lot of us recognize that maybe a deficiency in some of our feel-good hormones in the brain can contribute to why we drink. And nutrients, uh, specific vitamins like vitamin B6, vitamin B12, vitamin C, a lot of our minerals and amino acids, these are all what build, are the building blocks of those brain neurotransmitters, right? Mm-hmm. So what I started talking about and doing more research on for myself was not only how alcohol affects the body and, you know, as we know, damages the liver and some of these other systems, but I started really looking more into 
how these deficiencies and really nutrition or physical components of our body can actually be part of the reason why it might be more difficult for us to stop because we have these imbalances in our body that if we can address those, then we can maybe make changes to our drinking habits. Yeah. Wow. So it's been, it's been really exciting work mm-hmm. and um, a really fun area and a fun way for me to combine these two areas of passion that I really have. Mm. Wow. Amazing. It's, it's just something that we don't think about, let alone talk about. Um, so it is so exciting that, you know, it's coming up and which is why I'm really pleased that you're here because a lot of my clients and people who follow me, they, and people in general, they blame, we blame ourselves, don't we? But not in a way that, um, I don't know, not in a nice way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. We say, oh, there must be something wrong with me. And actually there might be in the sense that we might have these um, deficiencies, but actually that's a really good thing because it can be fixed, if that's the right word, or supported with food and nutrition and supplements, I would imagine. Yes, and that is a great point and something I talk about very frequently that we put a lot of burden on ourselves that Mm. we just don't have the willpower. Yeah. And I use quotations with willpower because we, we make ourselves feel bad when we think that we're different or that we're not strong enough or that we don't have, you know, uh, really the will to do Mm -hmm. it or to turn it down or to make a change. And the reality is that the body and these, these chemical hormones that are going through our body are very, very strong. Mm. And if they are needing that kind of hit from, uh, uh, you know, something like alcohol or something like sugar or a drug, for example, the body craves that. And it's very difficult for us to say no. Yeah. Whereas when we can start to identify where is the, where is the deficiency happening or where is the imbalance occurring? by looking at other things that might be going on in someone's body. So do they have hormone uh, imbalances? Do they have digestive problems? Are they, for example, vegetarian and maybe don't get enough of those protein building blocks in their diet? Mm. And so when we start to narrow in and identify some of these details, we can really start to look and say, Okay, if if you're not if you're vegetarian and not eating enough protein, how do we a make changes to your diet, your vegetarian diet to incorporate more protein? And B, how do we think of something like supplements, like you mentioned, Gail, as an uh, an adjunct to support you in improving those brain neurotransmitter levels? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that we can do with food and supplementation, and oftentimes it's just identifying where the person might have the imbalance and then what specifically do they need or what can they try to start seeing if it will make a change for them. Yeah. Yeah. And how do we do that? Say I stopped drinking and I'm probably not aware that I've got a deficiency in something because it's, it's not the first thing that pops into your head, is it? Um, So how do we perhaps, how do we know that we've got this deficiency and what can we do about it? 
Yeah, so that is a great question. And again, something that I feel really passionately about empowering people to help figure out. Mm. And there are ways that you can try things at home. And I'll give you some examples of that, that your users can try today and see if they help. Um, but I also do in my own work, I, I launched a group uh, membership program that is more community-based, but it focuses on how we use nutrition, supplements, really wellness practices to help mm -hmm. support uh, our alcohol-free journey. And that is for anyone who is completely sober to that sober, curious person who is saying, you know, I'm really trying to cut back, but I need that additional support. Yeah. And in there, we talk a lot about these different tips and tricks that you can try. Mm. But another thing that, especially when someone has maybe a more specific health concern, so if they are someone with an autoimmune disease, for example, that can have a really close connection with alcohol use because of the way that alcohol affects the gut. And so sometimes people do need a little bit more of that customized approach yeah. and doing some identification of, you know, what type of testing um, they can have done, which I recently posted about on Instagram, you know, different types of blood markers that you can request from your doctor. Mm. Um, but there are a lot of things that your listeners can try. And one of the things that I really like is very, very simple. You can do this today when the alcohol craving strikes, but we can eat more protein throughout mm -hmm. the day, starting in the morning and making sure that each meal and snack has at least 10 or 15 grams of protein. And if an alcohol craving comes up, try to eat something with protein and a little bit of maybe fiber or a little bit of good carbohydrate, what that's going to do is it's going to help normalize and stabilize our blood sugar levels, which oftentimes can be irregular if we have a history of drinking. Yeah. So if we think of it in the sense of if we're having a crash in our blood sugar, so that same kind of 2, 2 p.m. feeling that we might get, you know, mm. in the afternoon when we're stressed and we're kind of craving sweets. The same type of thing can happen, and that craving can manifest as alcohol. So yeah, if we work to, to yeah, mm. if we work to stabilize our blood sugar more throughout the day, again, protein, and when that craving hits, having something to eat instead of going straight to a drink, oftentimes people find that getting themselves out of that moment, having something to eat to raise the blood sugar is going to take away that craving. And mm -hmm. so that is something that is really, really easy for people to try at home and do on a continuous basis. So it can help at the time of the craving, you know, by having something to eat and getting that blood sugar back up. But it yeah. can also help us throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, because mm -hmm. we're really structuring our diet to be fighting against those cravings. And that mm. also goes into the sweets too, Gail, which you brought up, which is another, you know, really interesting uh, correlation there. And I know many, if not all of us who are cutting out alcohol have that struggle with. Yeah. And I want to ask you about, a bit more about that. But first, just can you explain what 15 grams of protein, was it 15 grams you said? Yep. What, what, yep. what does that look like? Yes. So one example that I will give you is two eggs mm -hmm. contain, they contain about six grams of protein per egg. So right. if you're having 
two eggs, it's about 12 grams of protein, Okay. which in theory is pretty good baseline, will help to kind of cut that craving. It's enough protein as a snack. Um, mm. I'm a big fan of hard boiled eggs yeah. and I get all fancy and make my own little deviled eggs at home uh, in the middle of the work day, which feels <laughs> special. Um, yeah. But also, you know, when we think about meals and we think about incorporating something, a lean protein like chicken or fish, typically mm. a four to six ounce portion has somewhere between 20 and 30 grams of protein. So okay. that in and of itself is a great way to structure. I'm a big fan of fish because of um, the healthy fats, the omega-3s that are present there. Mm. Um, so I would suggest at meals, really looking to aim for that uh, maybe four to six ounce piece of protein, mm -hmm. uh, animal protein. And then during snacks, things like hard boiled eggs are great. Um, even like a, an apple with sharp cheddar cheese or um, a nut butter can help to kind of stabilize because it also brings in that healthy fat element and again, yeah. the fiber from the apple. So I recently posted about different protein-rich snacks and I would love for the listeners to follow me because on Instagram, I, I give away a ton of these kind of quick tips and you know what to grab as snacks. Um, because it is sometimes just, we know what we should be doing, quote unquote, we know that we yeah. should be having a healthier snack, but sometimes it's just, well, what can that be? And trying some new yeah. or different ideas. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think the preparation and the planning for that is really important. And I might ask you for some tips about that as well. Um, Absolutely. like for example, I, I like fruit. I really enjoy fruit, but um, I hardly ever eat it because for me, not now, because things have changed um, and I'm having to be a lot more mindful and aware about what we eat at home. But before, I, I might have a bowl of oranges and peaches, but I just couldn't be bothered to eat an orange because I would have to peel it and then there would be juice running down my arms and down my chin and it would just be such a nightmare. So I would have a bag of crisps possibly or a piece of cake or, or something. Um, so how can we get ahead of the game, if you like, and be prepared so that in the moment when you're faced with, okay, I can have a piece of fish, but I maybe have to prepare it and cook it, or there's a cake over there, or there's the bottle of wine. Yeah. And that is a great question. I, I feel that being prepared is really the only way that, that we can do this because as you're mentioning, when that blood sugar is low, it signals kind of those alarm bells in our body that says, yeah. I need it and I need it now. I need that sugar basically to get me out of this pit that I'm in. Mm. And so when we are down in that low blood sugar uh, dip, it's easier for us to eat a piece of cake because that's going to send our blood sugar up yeah. quicker than a healthy snack would. Mm. So even the process of peeling the orange and all of that is tedious, right? Because you can just grab the cake and, you know, grab a fork and you're ready to go. Yeah. So as it relates to things like, like fruit, for example, 
I am a big fan of really focusing on the lower glycemic fruits. So things like apples or pears, um, berries are one of the biggest recommendations I have because they're so high in antioxidants. Mm-hmm. And keeping, I think, something like an apple in the fridge where you really can just grab it and go and you don't necessarily have to do that prep work. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's even thinking ahead of, what kind of things are just easier for me to grab? Is it a bag of nuts and an mm-hmm. apple, for example? Whereas, you know, peanut butter might be a little bit more challenging because you've got a scoop and then you need a plate and, you know. Well, you just eat it with I a think, spoon out the jar. <laughs> right, which we all do sometimes. Um, yeah. And that, and that is okay sometimes too. And the trick really is not letting ourselves get to that low blood sugar point Mm-hmm. where we are, again, somewhat out of control of our yeah. body because it's sending these alarm signals off. Mm. So in addition to making sure you're eating protein, a lot of what I suggest as well is timing out your meals about three to four hours maximum so that you're not going too long without food. Because what happens is if we have lunch at 12 p.m., for example, and we haven't had anything in between there and 5 p.m. hits and we're stressed at the end of the day, Yeah, we're going to go for that bottle of wine because yeah. we need that quick hit of feel good. We need that quick kind of boost in blood sugar that mm. the wine can give us. So if we strategically plan, say, put it into your work calendar or set a timer on your watch so that it goes off or on your phone to have a snack, even if you grab, again, that handful of nuts, something to kind of take the edge off a little bit, it's going to give us a better opportunity of being successful in the end. Mm. So, you know, just to jump back to your question on what things people can do to be prepared. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of cooking extra foods so that you've got leftovers in the fridge and not necessarily meal prepping, because I know that that can be kind of tedious for a lot of us. But, you know, if you're cooking dinner on Monday, make leftovers. So you have lunch for the next two days, or, you know, um, even things like uh, turkey wraps, for example, Mm. if you take a slice of deli turkey, and you wrap that either with a piece of, you know, sharp cheddar cheese, or a half of an avocado, for example, some of these kind of quicker, easier things to grab, Hard-boiled eggs are another fan. You don't have to devil them. That's just uh, <laughs> for for a little bit of excitement during the day. And a lot of times it's just trying things and seeing yeah. what you like, seeing what, you know, food is supposed to be fun. So, of course, if it's celery sticks and, you know, carrots, that's not as fun for everyone, mm-hmm. right? It's a little bit boring. It's harder to stick to things that we don't yeah. like. Yeah. So also finding things that still bring you joy and pleasure when you're snacking on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It makes total sense to not let yourself get to that stage in the first place, which does, of course, require a, a bit of planning because there's nothing worse, as you say, that when you come home and you, you, it's that like hungry, isn't it? You're hungry, you're angry, you're stressed, and you just want something then and there to get rid of that feeling um so when we're not drinking and a craving comes 
are we actually craving the alcohol? Are we craving sugar? Are we craving something to eat? Are we craving something else? What's going on in our brains in that moment? Yeah, so this relates again back to blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with, again, when we are bottomed out in blood sugar, our body is fueled by glucose, blood, our blood glucose. And the things that will raise our glucose are things like sugar, carbohydrates, and alcohol. Mm. And so when we are, again, in that low blood sugar situation, that is where we really start to cause to have those cravings for not only the sugars, carbs also too. So when you mentioned crisps, um, you know, or, um, you know, some of us reach for the salty things like the pretzels or something else that again, gives us a little bit of that kind of snacky, but it's all carbohydrates, right? Mm -hmm. It gives us that quick rise in our blood sugar. That is what we're looking for. So, you know, aside from the blood sugar itself, when we drink alcohol, Um, or excuse me, aside from blood sugar, as it relates to food and sugar and carbs, Mm. when we drink alcohol on a regular basis, the statistic is actually that about 95% of people who drink have imbalanced blood sugar levels. And the reason why that is, is because of the response that our body has when we drink. So we oftentimes experience these real high highs when we Mm. have something to drink. Not only will alcohol cause this reaction, but oftentimes we drink things that have sugar, like wine or a cocktail that has juice in it, for example, or, or soda. Mm. Our blood sugar will go up, and then we get this really steep drop-off, right, where we yeah. drop into, again, that low blood sugar situation. So this also is part of the reason why people sometimes say that once they have one drink, they can't stop drinking. Yeah. Part of it is, is the addiction and the, you know, the cycle that we get used to and what's happening in the brain, but there's also this up and down. We have a drink, our blood sugar goes up after the drink, it drops back down. And then where are we? We want another drink, right? So it keeps us in this kind of rapid cycle of these up and down blood sugar levels Mm -hmm. that then create a consistent, irregular blood sugar level. And so this is why when we cut out alcohol, our body is really trained, not only through blood sugar, but also those brain neurotransmitters to say, I need this hit of feel good. And I need this uh, something to raise my blood sugar back up. And so this is why a lot of people then tend towards the sweets. Um, Mm. You know, I know when I first cut out alcohol, it probably took me a good six months before the sugar cravings started to dull down. I probably hadn't had ice cream on a cone since I was a child, but all of a sudden (laughs) it was something about holding the cone, like a cup of ice cream wouldn't do the same thing. Mm. And, you know, it, it is helpful if we cut out sugar, theoretically from a physiological standpoint for us to kind of kick the cravings for alcohol and the sugar if we don't kind of buy into it. But I'm also a big proponent of when we are making the change, it's really hard to cut out alcohol. And so I would rather have you, if you're listening, have a little bit of a treat and give yourself the grace of, at least I didn't pick up the drink, 
and work on the sugar a little bit later on because sugar is something that we're never really going to be able to be completely sober from, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's in our diet naturally. Um, even if you don't eat sweets or if you don't have a sweet tooth, it's in fruits, it's in some veggies, um, you know, our carbohydrates break down the sugar in the body. So, you know, I say have a little bit of something sweet, try to make it as, you know, minimal as possible, whether that is some dark chocolate or, you know, uh, maybe a single serving size of something rather than a full, you know, chocolate bar. Yeah. But still allowing yourself to get a little bit of that, you know, pleasure that we get from or the feeling that we get from that food. Because in my book, alcohol is is the real one that we want to worry about for now. And we can always figure out sugar a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That is such good advice. And it's so nice to hear it from somebody who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> Not just me, because I, I did I swapped beer for tea and cake. Um, and I say the same thing to my clients and, you know, people are in conversation with that. In the beginning, certainly, I think the most important thing is not to pick up the wine or the beer or the vodka, whatever it might be. So if you are drawn to, I don't know, ice cream or cake or whatever, then then go with that. And we can begin to phase out that and add healthier, sweet things as mm -hmm. we go along. But you're right, the most important thing when we're trying not to drink is to try not to drink. Right. And there are different schools of thought on this. You know, some people believe that you should really cut out alcohol or excuse me, sugar at the same time. And that that is going to be, you know, the way that we avoid a transfer addiction and, you know, mm. moving on to sugar as our next addiction. But the way that I find helps a lot of people and, and has been really beneficial for me the other thing that's very fascinating is, especially if we begin drinking at a younger age, which I think many of us who end up with alcohol use concerns as, as adults, we started younger. And the brain is not fully formed until we're about 25 years old. Mm -hmm. And what happens when we start drinking at younger ages is we're really training our brain and wiring our brain to believe that alcohol equals pleasure. Alcohol equals feel good. Yeah. Alcohol equals fun. Yeah. Right? So when we cut out alcohol, our body is saying, well, none of nothing else seems fun because I only know how to have fun mm -hmm. with alcohol. And sugar can fill that a little bit because it is the treat. It is a way to, you know, go out and do something fun. If you're going out and getting ice cream when you're trying to avoid going to the bar, you know, yeah. at least you're not sitting home or, you know, going right home after dinner. It, maybe it's a, a little bit of a treat, but it's really important for us to relearn and retrain our brains on how to have fun again. Mm -hmm. What does life look like without alcohol? Because we also don't want to keep the sugar in there forever too, and then be every night going and getting the sugar. Yeah. That's where I think things become more of a transfer addiction. But through a lot of the work in the recovery space, and what I think is really important is identifying how do you 
seek pleasure now that alcohol is not the way that you seek pleasure, mm -hmm. especially if that's what you've been used to for a long time. Yeah. So is that, you know, spending time in nature? Is it some type of creative outlet, like you're going to get back to painting again or playing music again or journaling or writing? I think we all have these different ways in which we feel fulfilled outside mm -hmm. of drinking, but I know, and if you're listening and you are a longtime drinker, you might be saying, gosh, I have no idea how I would have fun. Yeah, that's a problem. I, mm -hmm. I remember, you know, dating, even when I was drinking and people used to say, what do you do for fun? And, and I would say, I drink. That's yeah. what I do for fun. Right. And I really relied on some of my longer term sober friends with, you know, five years of sobriety or so when I first got sober to say, you know, what, what do you do for fun? And that looks different. And sometimes it is just relaxing and chatting, maybe going out to a cute little uh, restaurant or cafe where you sit and have a lovely little cup of coffee or uh, a pot of tea, which can be really special mm. and is something that we really miss out on when we're so focused on the drink. Yeah. I, my first sober trip earlier this year, I was in Bali and I was away for several weeks and it, it clicked at one point that, you know, oh, this is my first time being away and not drinking. And they had so many fresh juices. Every mm. day I was having a fresh young coconut water. And I was like, if I had been drinking, I never would have gotten that stuff because wow. I would have said, ah, it's more important for me to you know, try the alcohol than to try some of the fresh juices. Yeah. So it's, it's a flip of our mindset and it's a change of how we really look at what is fun, what is pleasure, how do we live without alcohol? Because I know that so many of us feel, Gail, I'm sure you feel the same way that once you get past that hump, you're like, oh, this life is so much better. I feel way better. My energy is better. I have better friendships and relationships, but it does take a little bit of that shift for mm. us to really, you know, start to see that we can live life without alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. And we have to be in it for a little while, as you say, for the realization to, to really come. And it is that FOMO because when we're drinking, we think, that we're going to have so much FOMO when we're not drinking. But as you just said, actually the reverse is true because mm -hmm. when we, we're drinking, our world is just so small and it is just sofa and wine usually. It's not those little young coconut waters in Bali. Mm -hmm. How amazing mm -hmm. is that? Um, so you're right, it, a mindset switch is really important. Um and I say this a lot. I think it is important to allow yourself to focus on the good and the joy, to feel good when we're not drinking, because that's the thing that's going to carry us through, I believe. So anything that lights us up and brings us joy and pleasure, and especially where food is concerned, I think it's really important that we don't feel deprived or that there's any FOMO, especially in the beginning. 
Yeah, and that's a great point too. And and I'm a big foodie. It's part of the reason why I went mm. into the nutrition space early on because I love eating. I love trying new foods, and um, you know, it can definitely be, especially the early days of sobriety, can be really isolating. It can yeah. be really challenging because we are afraid of missing out, but we're also afraid of what would happen if we go out, mm. that we want to kind of stay away from social situations that maybe we typically would go to. And we find ourselves not really knowing what else to do, except some of those other vices like sugar or, you know, leaning towards food. And the thing about what we were just discussing with relearning pleasure and ways to have fun is that sometimes in the beginning, those old ways that we used to have fun. So, you know, if you grew up and you were a musician and you don't really play so much anymore, the first time or two mm. or three, it might, it might still not feel that good. Right. Yeah. But I want you to push past that because the, the problem is we're still a little dull because mm. alcohols, the, the level of dopamine and the hit that we get from alcohol is, is much stronger than some of those other lighter types of pleasure, if you will. Yeah. But when we take out the alcohol, our brains become a little bit more sensitive mm -hmm. once they recalibrate to these things that bring us pleasure that when we were drinking didn't really seem to bring pleasure anymore, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So sometimes it takes a little bit of trial and error or practicing, um, you know, going out and trying a bunch of different things to see what sticks mm. and what you might want to try again. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I am blessed to live in a city and there's a lot of different things to do and different places to go, but I'm also really bummed out that I'm not near more nature because mm. that is instantly a great way to lift your mood to, you know, yeah. get outside, get fresh air. If you live near, the woods and you can go for a hike or near a lake and you can, you know, soak in the beautiful views. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot more peace in our lives when we cut out alcohol, but sometimes it takes really clearing our mind from the distraction of alcohol before we can really experience that peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like you just said, giving yourself the time and the space and being kind and gentle and, and being open to explore and experiment mm -hmm. and, and try new things, not just mm -hmm. with what we eat, but also our experiences and our hobbies mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and use food to your benefit too. Yeah. You know, uh, one way to, uh, you know, practice new things is maybe try some new recipes, maybe mm -hmm. try cooking a plant-based recipe if you never have before, or, or, you know, the internet is amazing. We have access to, gosh, you can Google anything and make it yeah. at home now. And so channeling that to see, is that something that instead of making, you know, or digging into the cake at home, can mm. you find a um, almond flour, almond butter brownie that's maybe a healthier snack or treat that you can have? And not only are you making yourself the treat, and, you know, enjoying cooking and trying something new, but then you're getting to have maybe something that is a little bit lower in sugar or, yeah. you know, is in a smaller portion than you might have if you were going having dessert at a restaurant. Mm. So I think using cooking to your advantage 
And maybe that is something that you find, you know, a passion in and sharing with others. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I love this. What an amazing conversation. Um, I'm sure that everyone's going to really find it useful. And we will leave your Instagram handle in the show notes. But just before we go, Brooke, um, what, you know, if there was one piece of advice you would give to somebody who was listening and maybe struggling a little bit, what would you say to that person? That is a great question. Hmm. I would probably say that all of the things that we feel are hard when we're drinking, you know, whether that is eating better, if it's, you know, another thing in the health arena, like exercise, if it's meditation, if it is, um, you know, even loving our body more, if it is, you know, wanting to get back to some of those hobbies that you used to have, maybe it's sports activity, or again, it's painting, um, you know, all of the things that feel really, really hard for us to do when we're drinking. Mm. When we stop drinking and re- allow our brains to recalibrate and kind of get through that first initial hump, yeah, we start feeling all of these things again in a new way. Yeah. We start realizing that alcohol has really not been serving us in the way that we were feeling like it was. And that it was actually stealing away a lot of our joy Hmm. and creating more challenges in our lives than we really have without it. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I was experiencing extreme anxiety by the end of my drinking. Mm -hmm. And within a month, my anxiety had gone down about 60% just by taking out alcohol. Yeah. And so, again, if you are struggling and there are things that you feel like you just can't do, you know, you want that promotion, you want to start a family, you want to get into a new relationship, if you get over that hump without alcohol and use some of these tips, you know, Mm -hmm. with food to do so, I can get with utmost certainty say that your life is going to be different in the best way. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Wow. That's so inspiring. Thank you, Brooke. Thank mm, you so thank much. Thank you, Gail. No, I it's been it. a pleasure to um, to be on the podcast. And um, I really hope that your listeners enjoyed it and, and gained something from the conversation today. They will. They absolutely will. Thank you so much. Thank you.